I'm sorry, you can sit there and look and play with all your silly machines as much as you stop. like. What a stop! Chance for Ben! Oh! I mean, that sort of stuff, we're, it's been, we're, be, we're bigger than that. That interview is just like the performance, flat. No. Well, I mean, what do you want him to do? Just fall at Gabriel's feet crying? I mean, well, he's... Say something. We, we were doing what we'd done for 20 years, relaxing a nervous studio guest in the same way that you would in, in these conditions, um, and thought no more of it. Fire it up, fire it up. When we finally turn it over, make a beeline towards the boulder, have a drink. Welcome, 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 welcome along. It is the Friday Football Podcast. Adrian Barry with you uh, this week as always, and alongside me, the great. Do I have to introduce myself? Well, here, maybe I wouldn't have to introduce myself if maybe I got on the old intro. What have I got to do? You got to get into the intro. Yeah. That intro is the intro forever. That's bullshit. For as long as people don't realise we're actually doing this thing on a Friday afternoon, uh, the people who run the station, that will be the the way things are, Nathan, I'm afraid. It's a lot of nonsense. Yeah. you got to hone your craft to uh, all of Phil yeah, Thompson. Really? Yeah, really. Ah! <laughs> Were you listening to the uh, outside broadcast in Drada last night? I was. I really enjoyed it. Pretty good gag from uh, Cammy about uh, Phil Thompson. Um, one of the former Liverpool great managers had said about him that his nose was uh, his nose was so big when he walks into a ball with a hard up. He, no, I've ruined it. <laughs> oh <my laughs> I've ruined <God>. it. <laughs> he walks into a wall. What is it? When he walks into a wall, he walks into a wall with a hard on. He breaks his nose. <laughs> <laughs> I don't yeah. know if that's what of that reflects. There was quite a few moments where you're like, ooh. It's kind of uh, borderline <laughs> stuff. him with Chris Kamara as well. Yeah. Like his first word essentially was twat. Yes, yeah. Right in the intro. He didn't go all Joe Bradley on it, but he, he, he was getting there. <laughs> he was getting there, that is for sure. Uh, all right, it is the Friday Football Podcast. We're going to get to some football. We very nearly had a great day. We kind of alluded to it last week during the podcast. We very nearly had a an A-list celebrity, a proper A-list celebrity. Full scale. On the Friday Football Podcast. Yeah. Almost. I mean, by almost, he came in and threw us out of the studio when we were mid-podcast. No, Pat Kenny threw us out of the studio. He did. He uh, The great Michael Palin us. was uh, yeah. was in. Yeah. Yeah. You were starstruck. You made a really, really bad joke. I mean, I, you see, I, it was a pretty good joke. And also, I hadn't even realised Michael Palin was in the room as I was making it. I just thought it was... You, <laughs> you know, thought it was only a Pat Kenny suitable yeah. joke. It was Neither Pat Kenny Pat. said, "Oh, I, I, I would like to apologise. I'm not going to try a Pat Kenny voice. I would like mm. to apologise for displacing you." And I said, "Ah, oh, look, Pat, we've been, we'd already been, we'd been bumped from Billy to Jack before that as well. We've been displaced so often. It's been, it's like living in the Gaza Strip." And I looked uh, up, and there's a beaming Michael Palin in front of me. Really, his face beaming. You said that. No, no like... beaming. He gets a Michael Palin's well-travelled man. He gets the geopolitical. Uh, significance of a gag like that <laughs> yeah did you believe that's, that's the sort of banter we have around here <laughs> anyway we should have we should have asked him into the podcast well I don't know is he a football man I've never he's never struck me as a football man some of their sketches were semi football related not, at times I'm not oh, easy, really easy, up easy, on easy you, the Monty Python stuff oh. For there some was one, reason, there was a football I think it, match I was, where I'm a bit too young. some of the great minds played played against each other. It was Socrates and Nostradamus and 
Ecclesiasticus, <laughs> all these uh, all these brilliant minds, which is which is a, a sporting sketch that uh, jumps to mind. I have to say, who are we going to be bumped for today? Well, let's what's let's the, find out. What's let's the acceptable can... level of A to B lister we're willing to give up the studio for? Uh, I think I think Z list people are generally. It doesn't. Well, essentially, kind of, if Pat Kenny comes in, we yeah, get out. We're gone. Depending on the show, some shows we mightn't be so in so much of a rush to uh, to get out for. Oh, we're pretty accommodating. I.e., we know we're at the bottom of the uh, the food chain here. It's we're we're accepting of that. Yeah, it's just the two of us again this week. The lack of respect from McIntyre and Gilroy is yeah. becoming more apparent. Well, at least David the decency to day. send an email and say, "Sorry, chaps, I'm not going to be around uh, for the Friday Football Podcast this week." I do send my deepest apologies and will endeavour to be there for the following week's uh, really? podcast. Well, something to that uh, that that tone, but sure, just you know. No Jer, Jer, I think, just thinks we'll listen in on a Thursday evening and gather by his tone that maybe a couple of drinks might be had afterwards and yeah. don't expect to see me too early on Friday. Yeah. But that's fine. No, he's knocking around. He is knocking around, all in fairness to him. Oh. He's just not he's interested. He's just not in coming the... in here. No. Oh. What a lack of respect. No, we had no Premier League last week, so we couldn't try and give you the big uh, sell of our Sunday matches, but we can most certainly do it this week, uh, most specifically hey, because me, Adrian. we have Swansea Spurs! The biggest team in the country against the side still struggling to cope with the loss of their greatest player. Yeah, I see where you're going with that. Yeah, Swansea Spurs. Yeah. We've also got United Liverpool. (laughs) (laughs) It's United Liverpool on Sunday from half one. Dave will be there with Ray Houghton and then uh, we've sent our big guns along to the Liberty Stadium. Tough to get people to get to the Liberty Stadium, it has to be said, in terms of co-commentators. Nobody seems that willing to drive to Swansea. Okay, Keith Andrews isn't, listening to, doesn't, isn't a podcast listener, is he? Uh, you, you two are good, good chums. Oh, we're like that. Mm. Uh, yeah, he He's seems crossing happy his fingers enough. there, by the way, in case you... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I think it's about four hours from London to Swansea. Mm. It's not too bad for me. I just fly into Cardiff, hire a car, tear down the M4. Yeah, um, within this legal speed limit, clearly. I hope the weather is a bit better this Sunday than when I was in Swansea last month for the Arsenal game, where if the game had lasted five minutes longer, I don't think we would have finished it. Really? Because literally the full-time whistle blew and all the electrics in the place blew because it was hit by, the stadium was hit by lightning. Ah, because Spurs had something similar last night. Yeah. Maybe not uh, the such severe weather, weather conditions, but yeah. So look, at today you'll have your long johns in your, in your oh, bag. Definitely. Agent, so uh, regular listeners will get that uh, particular bit of bounce right there. Uh, let's move on to the football. My treble last <coughs> week didn't come in. It uh, fell on uh, Chelsea, essentially. It fell on a couple of results, actually. But uh, one of them being Chelsea, which, you know, nobody was... Uh, to suspect perhaps that that might be the case and maybe that's where we'll start because there's a whole bunch of games on Saturday at 3 o'clock including Chelsea Hull at Stamford Bridge it'll be a game that Gerald will be keeping an eye on over the afternoon on Saturday's show should we Should we have been greatly surprised by Chelsea coming unstuck at Newcastle last weekend? It's the first defeat of the season of course you're going to be somewhat surprised I think the manner of it maybe was a surprise they it's didn't play well probably two separate questions isn't it? Whether well, you just we asked one question. Chelsea, whether we expected Chelsea to get beaten, and then also by Newcastle, Newcastle or at some stage this season, I think you had to expect Chelsea would lose at some stage over the season. Though probably since that Arsenal side, there was good a team who's been around in the Premier League, and they had that quality, that relentless quality, where you thought, well, if they get to twenty-five games unbeaten, mm-hmm. they could well see it out. They didn't play well last week. We John Anderson on. He said that Mikel was Chelsea's best player. Yeah. Whereas when I was watching it, I really thought Matic was massively missed. 
he was suspended for the game and that that was one of the reasons why why Chelsea lost that he just lets everyone have a little bit more freedom also can bring the ball out of defence brilliantly can inject a little bit of pace and they've got Cesc Fabregas missing this week another one of that midfield duo uh, Thibaut Courtois is also probably going to miss the game through injury so even though they've had a really stable side it's coming on stuck a little bit through injuries and suspensions over the last couple of weeks and maybe that is one reason why they faded somewhat or perhaps it's that they've had two sable aside yeah. and everyone's a little bit tired is it possible that just on that Mikel point because it is I, I, look it's a very significant thing that uh, you know Madic was out and he was the heartbeat of the team he played every minute of every Premier League game and that, Champions League game and Champions League matches is it possible that both of those points are, are true that Mikel was Chelsea's best player and they also missed Madic yeah, I think Matic has an awful lot more to his game than Mikel. Mikel is just very much a stopper. Mm. Whereas Matic, at times, will get forward and will involve himself over the halfway line and can create something, can pick out a ball, can pick yeah. out a ball into Costa. Whereas Mikel doesn't have that in his game at all. He has got a five-yard pass and a tackle. Is he the sort, by the way, it just... Uh, uh, Mikel Graham, or Matic? Graham, uh, Matic. Graham Sinis was talking last night about the idea of he can't understand why that holding stroke creative midfielder will come back to rush back towards the back four and take possession of the ball and play the 10, 15 yard pass and bring the players in around him for his money that that's essentially depending on the formation of the team you're using up four, five, six players to do that which only leaves five players in advanced role against pretty much certainly 10 players and that you're better off having one of your defenders to do that. Is Matic the sort that comes deep and takes the ball and looks to yeah, around a bit. both himself and Fabregas do it. But I think he was relating to Gerrard at Liverpool. And that, especially against Basel the last night, that the Liverpool way when Souness was there was... It wasn't the passing football that Liverpool were known for in the first 10 minutes of the game. They just kicked it to the corners mm. and went and put the team under pressure from the very first minute. The way Chelsea play, I don't think um, Mourinho wants Matic going too far up the pitch. He wants that extra holding player so that he can have his three attackers, he can have Costa, Hazard, William, uh, Fabregas, all pushing forward. He does come back, but they have so much talent when it comes to passing, that if he's given it to Fabregas, it's moving out of defence an awful lot quicker than if Liverpool have it. If Gerrard, now I know he's moved out, but even Lukas, it's very easy for teams to play against when it's coming out slowly, because you can get up and you can press them. And you see it all the time with Liverpool that if you press Lucas or you press Allen or Henderson, if even if it's the second ball, that suddenly it's back with Skirtle and it's back with Lovren. So your and point is what role. that they should just get the defenders to uh, play that role. Well, Lovren, I think, would be happy to bring it out. Yeah. First game of the season against Southampton, constantly brought the ball over the halfway line. Whereas when Gerrard is there, and I don't un- and don't want to go back to Liverpool again, but I don't understand. It's it's a pointless ball. I think Sunas has a point there that. Mm. Lovren is literally passing the ball or Skirtle three yards to Steven Gerrard who then looks up and probably gives it back to Skirtle again or passes it five yards to Henderson a no-risk ball whereas yeah. Martin Skirtle could have done the exact same thing So, so right, to whereas, take that point on so, so, so let's say Skirtle's coming out with that ball and so Gerrard is not going to be in his vicinity because the whole idea is that you're trying to make as much use of the space as you can yeah. so Gerrard is further like so Skirtle's over the halfway line He's looking for the pass. You know, Gerard has, has pushed forward. Clearly, he's, the whole point of this is that he's not within that close proximity of the defenders. So, by nature of all that, the Liverpool team, its shape is further advanced. 
perhaps than they might like because if for whatever reason that pass invariably doesn't go to feet then all of a sudden they're pretty exposed so is there not like, is there not a lot of sense from that point of view and also from the point of view of that ultimately isn't that a huge part I mean that Paul Scholes type thing of I mean that was a he, look, he could he could pick out a pretty brilliant 30 yard pass as well Paul Scholes and Roy Keane uh, the same but a lot of their game was playing that 10-12 yard pass yeah and there's a place for that but I think Liverpool are putting themselves in a riskier position that they're more likely to lose it almost with Gerrard with his back or facing his own goal he picks it up and he's demanding the ball and then he has to turn even happened a couple of times the last night against Basel when he's playing a bit further it's nicked off him and suddenly they're in trouble I just think play everything 10 yards further up bring the centre backs up towards the halfway line yeah. um, but again we're talking about such a, a difference in calibre you've got good pace in your defence obviously as well it's a yeah, nuance which perhaps maybe Liverpool don't at centre back but I think we're talking about a very different uh, huge gulf in quality between Liverpool and Chelsea in that Matic when he brings the ball out or because we don't really see John Terry bringing it out of defence too often now yeah. but he used to do a lot of that he was he really fancied himself as a midfielder essentially yeah Whereas now, Mourinho likes Matic to do it. But I think Matic knows, even if he pushes a little bit forward and he gives it to Fabregas, they're not going to lose the ball. Fabregas is going to hold on to it. He'll pick out the right pass. Whereas I really get the sense with Liverpool and maybe some other teams who play like this that they don't trust the players around them. Yeah. And you really see that with, with Gerrard. Yeah, you can tell. Point, yeah. he, he demands it off Skirtle because he trusts himself more than he trusts Skirtle. He trusts himself more than he trusts Joe Allen. And that probably applies to, like, the the, the point that Graham Sunas makes essentially probably only apply, applies to two or three teams in the entire uh, league because mm. most of those other teams don't have the capacity to leave themselves that exposed. So it makes a lot more sense that they would keep their central defenders most specifically in place and then allow, you know, that holding midfielder or whatever it might be to try and deliver a pass. Yeah, and it might also be the case that John Terry, or Jose Mourinho's looked at it and thought, well, John Terry isn't 28 anymore. If he does come over the halfway line, he doesn't have the pace to get back yeah. quickly enough. So, you just stay where you are, John. We've got five, they usually have five, if you include Fabregas, five creative attacking players in the team. Matic will do that job. He will bring the ball out and it means we have another pl- another mm. man, a big guy, helping out in defence. If we do lose it, ever like if he passed to Fabregas, Fabregas loses it. At least he's got Matic behind the ball as well. Yeah, yeah. it's an interesting point. I don't want to uh, keep banging on on the podcast about the fact that I was at Hertha Berlin and Bayern Munich the other week, but uh, it struck me uh, during that game as well that just exactly the thing that we talk about, and Bayern Munich are clearly one of the best teams in Europe, uh, that this was exactly what was happening to them. Their wing-backs had pushed on, the two defenders had were in, uh, central defenders were in a very advanced role, and at times Alonso had to dig deep to get uh, track back right into the corners to try and snuff out and Hertha Berlin were useless as well by the way but I think that's one of the reasons why people used to get bored of Spain and Barcelona that it was all just 10 yard passes Mm. but it was because they were so confident that and they could all push further up and Dani Alves and still does essentially play as a winger but I think you need that one Xabi Alonso who will go in and cover and if the full backs do go up and a player at I like a defensive midfielder at the base who will cover at the sea with Ireland as well with Seamus Coleman. Really watching him against Scotland you're thinking Seamus Coleman is looking if I give the ball into the centre to Hendrick or to Gibson and I go on a charging run 30 yards forward one of these lads is going to lose it yeah. and next thing I'm out of position. Mm. You need that trust. you got to have trust. So it really only apply. it doesn't apply to very many teams. No, really. I think the uh, very best teams. Uh, interesting as well by the way that one of the off the ball team members wondered in which city Hertha Berlin had <laughs> residence. 
<laughs> I was, was going to say drink had been taken, but it was still about four know, o'clock in, fairness, in the afternoon. In fairness, I, w- I was not overly partaking in the in the drink, and drink was definitely uh, an aspect of it. <laughs> I could say that through uh, through sober eyes. But uh, pretty, pretty, pretty interesting stuff. So look, I suppose just to leave Chelsea Hull for the minute uh, and to move on to some of these other games, the you know the loss to Newcastle, I suppose, has created a lot of debate this week, and it's been brilliant because we do have some semblance of a title race again a little bit. Uh, but does it change your outlook on whether Chelsea are going to win the uh, league this year or not? No. Sergio Aguero getting injured later that evening, I think probably killed off a realistic chance of Manchester City unless now he gets back in a month Mm. or six weeks and they do have very favourable run of fixtures coming up Manchester City they showed a lot of balls against Roma I thought Samir Nasri was outstanding as he often is uh, in the big games Nasri's problem a lot of the time is uh, he just doesn't look motivated a problem you could say about a lot of the Manchester City players and that's why I think if Chelsea had the run of fixtures Manchester City had you could see Chelsea winning all seven of them Whereas with City, you think halfway through, a lot of confidence, they'll just lose focus. If a man wants to play one up front, I'm not going to win. Yeah, Robbie Keane there telling us that it's time to move on to the next game. And I suppose we can segue nicely into Manchester City. Nathan, uh, who are at Leicester City uh, this weekend, the King Power Stadium, another one of these uh, three o'clock games. I'm a little bit late to this party, but uh, <laughs> Nathan has a knowing look in his face that says that's generally the case. Uh I caught up in a story about Nigel Pearson recently. I don't know if everybody's been aware of this thing, and I just haven't, but it was... They have. They have. Have they? Well, You're, are you aware of it? It's been out there. What, did he had a row with the fan? No. Oh. Ah, you see? Well, I, I might still... I might still... You may have. well be. He... Uh, what, 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 what are your impressions of Nigel Pearson? What, what, what do you think about him? To be honest, I rarely think about Nigel Pearson. Okay. Well, that's probably... I think that's he is a... Was a journeyman footballer who is a journeyman manager who will get sacked by Leicester take a team in the championship probably get them promoted and he's pretty dull dull kind of character not nothing particularly exciting about him no Um, he some years ago was walking in the Carpathian mountains in Romania right Uh, set set upon by five wild dogs (laughs) Uh, had to had done his research so this was obviously a time between him playing and becoming a manager. Mm. I'd done his research and figured out that the dog's noses were sensitive to nettles. Did a quick scan of the landscape, spotted a whole bunch of nettles and jumped into them. So at which point the five wild dogs thought, yeah, we've we've been in there before. We've been in this kind of territory. This is no place for us. We'll, after, after some time, they decided he's not coming out of there. So we're just going to head off. So... Uh, so Nigel Pearson sees the dogs heading off and you know uh, moves away from the nettles again and eventually the dogs are pretty sharp so they haven't gone terribly far and spots that Nigel Pearson is again a free man and so start to circle him again and what they do is they come in and four of them will distract you while one of them one of them goes for you so they'll kind of nip at your ankles and like they're, they're trying to kill they're trying to eat Nigel, Nigel Pearson, Pearson alive, alive essentially um, but again the quick thinking Nigel Pearson spots a tree goes over to it backs up to it has a walking stick in his hand and starts poking the dogs in the eyes to try and blind them the SPCA know about this? well it was me or five dogs I'm thinking uh, I'm thinking the, the dogs are going to lose out here um, and eventually the this was enough for the dogs to skulk off and victory to Nigel Pearson it was pretty amazing story I have to say that 
I think it was reported first about 12 months ago, um, which I was a little later, but I would highly recommend going and checking her out. Did this actually happen? It's it's reported across several, unless he's... How does that story come up? Nigel, I feel, have you ever felt anything like the pressure you're feeling at the moment? Bottom of the Premier Quite League, possibly. no wins in 10 games. Well, funny you should ask, because yeah. one time I was just there walking in the Carpathian Mountains <laughs> and a pack of wild dogs tried to attack me. And I was like, what? Yeah. But, you know, that, that's quite probably exactly how it came up. It probably came up in a, one of these sort of one-to-one interviews where people get a more of an opportunity to uh, pick away at the scab and see what Nigel Pearson is about. But he also gives some other insights into himself during the course of this piece, but not wanting to be overly giving a press conference. So sometimes he comes across as a little bit gruff, but it's just that he's really focused or he's really concentrated. And there are... he ta- <laughs> There's a very sort of David Brentish quality to the interview as well, where he talks about his own great sense of humour, which is yeah, you know. yeah. But when you're uh, explaining that, I always find your when you're, you're explaining losing. you're losing Nathan, as you you're yourself quite say uh, say quite frequently. But it just look I, like I had exactly those same sort of thoughts about Nigel Pearson that everybody had until I read this piece, and then I kind of thought, you know what, I'd actually like to see this guy do well. He uh, he just came out of it very well. Dog murderer. Nigel Pearson well, bl- at least dog blinder <laughs> <laughs> they may not have died they just did not know they were walking straight into those nettles the poor dogs uh, yeah so he's you all. You have a real soft spot though for managers in a relegation fight it's the same last season or crazy Asian owners or crazy Asian owners <laughs> either of which uh, yeah are pretty ha- ha- high up in your list yeah, I look. I you gotta have sympathy for the for the uh, pressure that surrounds these positions. Oh. You know, yeah. Like Th- these like, guys don't sleep very well. Yeah, and it's not very often. Look, Nigel Pearson himself says, "I don't like these press conferences. They're deliberately dull. I don't want to go there and uh, you know give any great insight into who I am or what I'm about. They're just deliberately dull, and that's kind of a slightly depressing thought in itself. That well, it is. Yeah, but even." Yeah, I think I think there's a lot of managers who are like that. Mm. Maybe not deliberately dull, but deliberately never say anything. And are, even we were at a thing yesterday with Paul McGinley, mm. where he spoke about in the build-up to the Ryder Cup and every press conference, he never swayed off the message. Whereas you always get the impression. I've never heard Paul McGinley t- talking where I didn't think, this guy is being honest. This guy's telling the truth. But it turns out, yeah, he wasn't. Yeah. He yeah, was, he, everything was focused towards downplaying. It wasn't necessarily that he was lying; sides. it was just that he wasn't telling the truth. Yes, perhaps. Yeah, yeah. 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 Anyway, back to message: uh, Leicester City against Manchester City, and it seems as if um, I put the point to John Giles last night about uh, the sort of you know the fact that Liverpool were very much a one-man team, but that Manchester City might actually be able to survive without uh, Sergio Aguero for the next few weeks. Well, the guy who many think should have been the player of the season. Last season is still there. Yeah, yeah, Torre. Yeah, they do not, have not quite at those levels. No, obviously. they do have way more depth. Uh, if they can get Jovetic scoring, yeah. if they could get Edin Dzeko fully fit, I think they have the players to carry them through this period. As I say, good run of fixtures. If they could win five or six of them and just stick within three, four points of Chelsea for when Aguero comes back, like they were worse off points wise this time last season than they are now. They've won four in a row, but. I still wonder about their focus, about guys like Nasri, who I just think is such a great player when he wants to be, but that a trip to Leicester doesn't necessarily appeal to him as a big Champions League night. And that's where Chelsea will probably win the league, that they will just go to Leicester and win 1-0 or win 2-0 and come out with three points and be happy about it. Well, isn't that what Chelsea is? Isn't that Chelsea? 
Yeah. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. That's right. exactly what I just said. Right, That's right, what Chelsea right, will do. Right, 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 right. Please listen. <laughs> uh, this coffee isn't strong enough. Um, they, unless they could go buy someone in in January. City? Yeah. Don't know who. Yeah. And the difficulty there is that... Uh, Podolsky, maybe. The difficulty there is that... Uh, <laughs> <What>? <laughs> no, my, it, it nah, actually represents nah, my point pretty well because, I mean, they're not, City City would have to spend... Like, I mean, they're going to have to spend a huge amount of money to get a player that's of city standard to come in there. And then, who's that going to be? And then also, what are, going to, what are they going to do with them when Aguero's fit again? Yeah, because they're going to want to play one up front. Yeah, they're, they're probably not going to sign. Who do you sign? Boney or Benteke or someone like that who is Gets a very two or three different games type then, of player yeah. who ends up, yeah, they sign somebody in your That's not appealing. That's player. not appealing for a player, is it? It's well, that's not appealing. Money. But what is appealing <laughs> is when they offer you 150 grand a week yeah. and you're currently on about 60 grand a week. That's a reasonable point. Very reasonable point. The other thing that I put to Giles... John. Giles. John. <laughs> oh, didn't go John. well last night, did it? John. But Giles. To John last night uh, was that... Is John like... Is John the first six months of speaking to him, then you might get to a Johnny stage? Do you get to a Johnny stage? Um, I don't think. I don't think. I don't think you ever get to the Giles stage. Yeah, no, <laughs> Giles. In fairness, you don't. I don't know that you would ever get to. Uh, I don't know. I've spoken to maybe five or six times uh, over the last couple of years, and I don't. I wouldn't feel comfortable enough with getting anywhere next or near the Johnny. The jo- does Jerry go with a Johnny? No, I think it's a Giles. I went straight in with Johnny. Ah, yeah. Well, I mean, that would explain uh, what followed for the <laughs> the yeah. frosty the frostiness for the following twenty twenty five minutes. Anyway, the point was that uh, after the Bayern Munich game, where City had five shots on goal and one three two, like it was ridiculous. I think they were Aguero's only shots on goal, in fact, and he scored a hat trick. And Bayern Munich uh, were pretty pretty ragged in defence at times, and ended up getting beaten. And it was it was it was. It was a bit of a nonsense kind of result, but afterwards, some of the City players had said, oh, this is a big turning point in our season. And I kind of scoffed at it at the time and thought, well, this is ridiculous. You're basing this to be a turning point in your season on, like, you were thoroughly outplayed here and you flukily won this match, but you're convincing yourselves that actually this is a much more significant thing. But the possibility that, despite despite the fact that they played badly against Bayern Munich that night, that, that didn't really matter. That it actually could be a turning point in their season because it was a result, and then they go and convince themselves themselves that actually, yeah, we're this is it. We kick on now. Yeah, and they get their focus again. It, it all goes back to the focus. Can they get themselves up for every match? Mm. They always appear to be too relaxed. That they believe their own hype. That they think we are the champions. We'll just turn up and we'll beat the vast majority of teams. Which but wasn't for, that the essence of Pellegrini last season? Wasn't that the thing that everybody said? Oh, look at this great modest but guy. That's He's a reflection. Keep them grounded. That's. That's and I think we've said this before. Like the team is the reflection of the manager. Last season, it was exactly what they needed. Yeah. This calming influence after the disharmony in the dressing room for the last probably eighteen months under Roberto Mancini. Mm. So it worked last season. This season, you just think, well, he's very relaxed as well. He doesn't seem overly pushed about. He doesn't seem overly excited about going to Leicester or Hull or any of these places. Now I say all that, and they have the best away record in the league. <laughs> it's at home is the problem yeah. uh, for Manchester City. But maybe at home even more so, where they think, well, nobody wants to come to the Etihad to play us, where in fact, everybody wants to go to the Etihad to play you, because the food is so good. Uh, um, have they not stopped doing... somebody say that recently? What? That they've stopped... Oh, that was Newcastle. Oh, yeah. yeah. They've stopped giving the yeah, yeah. press any food at all. If, if if Manchester City stopped giving the press food, I'm quitting my job. <laughs> it's good to see you're in it for the right reasons, Nathan. That's uh, 
Incredibly encouraging, I must say. That's uh, Leicester City against Manchester City. Does it feel like tonight maybe a new era is starting for Borussia Dortmund? <laughs> no. <laughs> I really love that clip, I have to say. The reporter asks the question and then starts laughing along because Jurgen Klopp is pissing himself <laughs> laughing at him. Uh, anyway, that is uh, that game, so we leave that one there. So we want to talk about the uh, teams towards the top uh, end of the table. So that brings us nicely along to West Ham. Yeah, uh, They're off to Sunderland in another one of these uh, 3 o'clock games on Saturday. Uh, I think we just assume at some point that, well, the bubble is going to burst for West Ham. Presumably. I don't think they have quite enough quality. I don't think they have as much quality as Southampton mm. uh, to, to finish in the top four, but top eight finish great season for West Ham and they now seem to possibly have two styles of play I was as luck would have it being quite critical just before the match against Swansea last week and probably a bit overly critical then when they went 1-0 down about well Andy Carroll's back in the side and all this good football and all this work they have put into the first three months of the season has just been abandoned and it's just long ball after long ball to Andy Carroll and then Andy Carroll scores two Wonderful header! Yeah. Exactly the type of goal you that want. One, from was it the first one right back across yeah. the keeper into the far side uh, side net side net right side of the side netting? He had the flick on uh, for the sending off for Fabianski. He also flicked it on for Sacco uh, for his goal. So if they can figure out a way of playing two different styles within one match, yeah, and you have Carroll and Sacco starting, which they probably will uh, tomorrow away at Sunderland. Like if Andy Carroll stays fit, like he's not worth he's not worth thirty five million quid. But like Ashley Williams is a pretty experienced defender. That is the worst I've ever seen him play. Because Andy Carroll just stood by him for the entire match and drove him mad. He couldn't win a header. Andy Carroll, he, he's not a Fellaini type where he swings the elbow too often. But he's just so strong. Defenders hate him. If they can keep him fit for the rest of the season, I think they'll definitely finish top eight. I want to have a conversation about Andy Carroll at some point and 35 million quid not come up in it. <laughs> It's almost impossible, isn't it? Well, Enner Valencia was injured last weekend, is that right? And did he come off for Sacco at half time? <coughs> I suppose my question is how they accommodate. Because initially in the season, it was uh, Valencia and Sacco were both mm. fit and Carroll wasn't there. And so that dictated this uh, ground game that worked super effective for them. And then Carroll came back in. And as you say, this is sort of style. So what happens when all three are fit? Do you play Andy Carroll in the middle and the two guys? either side of them possibly the problem I think is for a side like West Ham when you don't have outstanding you know it was it was it was probably difficult for them to play that passing style of football mm. that it required a huge amount of concentration from the centre backs who aren't technically talented so when you see Andy Carroll there the temptation is always to well like we could do what we were doing earlier in the season and try and pass it about and take a few more risks or I could just take the easier option mm. and send it long to Andy yeah, Carroll so no matter how much time you spend in training if you're on the pitch it's almost human nature to go well look at that giant guy up there I know if I send it long he's probably going to win this in the air yeah 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 it's interesting it's obviously going to be a test for Sam Allardyce over the next little while as well because with a team like that you probably it's not to say you can't play two styles but the player's got to be pretty clear on what the actual game plan here is you know when they do get that opportunity is it do, do we lump it here do we try and go uh, played around a little bit so anyway that's under the last time it also might be Poyet versus Poyet uh, Gus Poyet oh, yeah. 
son Diego, who's a West Ham player, uh, Gus, I was reading some quotes with him, saying that he has just decided not to speak to Diego this week. Hasn't actually told Diego, I'm not calling you because I don't want to, uh, to be any allegations of insider trading here, but uh, just I'm just not going to talk to you. I'm well, not sure if only if only Brendan Rodgers had such uh, <laughs> modesty instead oh. when Liverpool were playing Oldham in the FA Cup they sat down for a nice fireside chat together and Brendan Rodgers before the match even though his son was on the bench said yes I'm going to specifically say to my players if he's on the pitch and there's a corner kick mark him tighter than anyone else because sometimes these things are just written in the stars that's kind of insane yeah like way. your son is shit yeah <laughs> Don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah, it's fine. It's not written anywhere. Yeah, you can't um, even get in the Oldham team. Uh, Diego, I'm not. I don't want to say Diego is sh- also shit, but he's been well, he's on only, loan. He's only a kid. He's 19. He's yeah. been on loan at Huddersfield for a month. Yeah, but he's 19. Yeah, oh, West Ham are going really well. They're not my, changing yeah. the side. They want exactly, to get him a bit exactly. of first team experience. Yeah, my point is that he's not going to play this. Probably not going to play this weekend. He's so why did you bring it up? I just said it might be Poyet versus Poyet, and it led to a very interesting story about Brendan Rodgers and his son. Do you think uh, Poyet uh, is going to last much longer? I feel justified. Um, I, look, I don't know. You see, again, it's about this expectation thing with these various teams. Sunderland currently 14th in the table. They have 15 points. Nine draws. Which is two from safety. Like they're a team who were almost relegated last season. I, like I yeah. don't know. It just completely depends on expectation. Like what? So so the suggestion is that some other manager comes in there and he gets something better out of these players. Like look at the team he has. Yeah, yeah, that's true. A, a huge game for him is uh, particularly if they don't beat West Ham uh, next Sunday weekend off the ball. We got live coverage of the Tyne Weir Derby yeah. uh, between Newcastle and Sunderland and. If Newcastle are still flying and Sunderland are in a bit of trouble and Newcastle go and win that game, then Gus Poy will be in trouble. There's just no real spark there at the moment. They're not scoring any goals. Uh, yeah, I wouldn't be too excited about the Sunderland project at present. Yeah, I don't know. It'll be like definitely the the Newcastle thing is an, an added element in that. Will obviously be an interesting game to listen to Nathan. But I'm uh, not honest. Uh, yeah, we know we got our we got our best people on that one. Uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, look, I don't know. I, I th- I'm not sure sacking Gus Poyet is like Gus Poyet is a kind of a strange individual because at various points he says a lot of things that are not necessarily very positive towards himself and. So that can be a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy. I, I don't mind. The honesty is great. The honesty is great. But maybe he's a bit too modest. Like actually like doing the Brendan Rodgers thing of talking about, oh, what a great manager I am. I in some am respects. great yeah. on his forehead. On his forehead. Müssen alleine das Spiel gewinnen. Müssen alleine das Spiel gewinnen. Trapatoni, time to move on to the next game. Have you been around for these new little ding-dang-doos there? Some of them. All right, yeah. Um, I've heard that one before. Sunderland against uh, West Ham. That is a game I'll be keeping an eye on as well. So, some of the other matches. Burnley against Southampton at Turf Moor. Kind of remarkable that uh, Southampton are... They haven't won a game in over a month, yet they're still fifth in the table. Yeah, well, there's... That's the entire table. You can... All these teams that are in contention... Now, in fairness, there's not a huge amount of games. There is coming up, but there's been stops to the International. So... It's what four games in a row? Uh, yeah, that they've won point from four games. Yeah, that was the the match against Villa. Yeah, but there's a load of teams around there competing. Like Newcastle had that terrible start. They're up there now. Swansea won their first three. Have been incredibly inconsistent since then, but they're still up there as well. It, it, there's no real consistency among those sides. Yeah, which and I think it also is why Southampton to, like the, the lack of quality elsewhere, yeah. doesn't it? It's, there's a huge lack yeah, of quality yeah, yeah, in the league. Yeah, yeah. Now it still makes it exciting, but I think this is probably Southampton's biggest game of the season they knew really? oh unquestionably 
they knew going into those games, their last three matches, that there was a chance they may not win any of them. But also, they were, like, like City three. aside, they were thumped 3-0. I mean, they were very unfortunate against Arsenal. Uh, they got, I think it was last minute, Arsenal scored. Yeah, they definitely should have got something men. out of that United game. Oh, they were by far and away the better side against United. But Pelé stopped scoring. And, Donkey. well, he scored. He scored the last night, but he... Never mind that. <laughs> Nobody else is contributing. Yeah. Shane Long is definitely not contributing. No, he, since he got the couple of goals, he, yeah. again, he and then he got And in fairness, he got a, he's gotten a whole bunch of chances since then to say to Coleman that actually, I'm, I'm your guy, get me in here. And he really hasn't taken them. But what they need to make sure is that it's not a repeat of last season. Last season as well, they were going well and there was a run of fixtures. It was slightly later. It was just coming up to Christmas. They had three or four really tough games and you thought, it can unravel very quickly. And it did. And then they were pretty inconsistent for the rest of the season. But now they can just put these three games behind them and say, right, we're back. We're top 16. We should be going to Burnley and winning this game. So I think if they win it, we can uh, we can talk about well, Southampton. Nice to see, but it's not exactly what Spurs need at this moment in time. Yeah, there we are. Time to move on to that's, the... That's uh, my only contribution to jingles. <laughs> Listen, you made the cut, Nathan. Just feel feel glad for that. I don't want to leave that game without what, giving my most Nathan Murphy stat of all time. You must have done a lot of research for this. Turf Moor here. Burnley, Nathan, everything points to a Southampton win here because Burnley have never won a game in December. In the Premier League? In the Premier League. <laughs> so you need to clarify your stat. Yeah, I've clarified. All right. What does that Where, mean? Where'd you get that from? It means nothing. Where'd you get that from? Mark Lawrence has done his, done his work in the BBC. Uh, sure, we can all nick our stats from the BBC website. You're, 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 you're moving away from the point of how useless this stat actually is. You know, does it point to a fatigue mid-season? Maybe this is the greater question. No, it points to the fact that... They're shit. They have always had a really... Won, they've had, I'd, yeah. I'd imagine there's quite a few months where they haven't won too many games. Yeah. And also in the Premier League with a threadbare squad of no, no great quality... December is a pretty busy month. So actually, there might be some substance to this. I've talked myself around to it. You can bring it up tomorrow on air <laughs> as well. I'll give you that one. Um, right. Uh, Crystal Palace against Stoke is a game I'll be keeping an eye on, on hey, Saturday afternoon. Uh, Stoke have won five of their 15 games so far this season. All five against teams in the top half. Which again, I was really surprised to come across uh, this week after saying. Not on the BBC website, Nathan, before you point that uh, judgmental finger what does that say about Stoke is that a kind of a Manchester City type problem at a lower level that the players a lot of whom have played for big clubs yeah that they only get themselves up when there's a big team in town well Mark Hughes has had a comment about this this week suggesting essentially that Stoke play better against teams not necessarily the emotive factor of getting themselves up to play against the bigger teams because they've beaten City and beaten Arsenal uh, this is that m- it's more to do with the fact that they play better against teams who come at them, and he so actually reckons, yeah, yeah, he actually reckons that Palace fall into that category. That Palace are a team that might push on against them. Yeah, well, at home, I don't think Palace ever uh, sit back particularly, um, but Palace are a side also who you, you watch the way they perform against Liverpool, and then watch them since then, and the same spark hasn't been there in general. Mm. Now, Balassi has managed to maintain his form, even against uh, against Spurs last weekend. And in fairness to Palace, I guess watching the highlights from that Palace-Spurs game, they battered Spurs. They just couldn't score. Mm. Uh, Lloris had a great game. So, I don't know, Palace against Stoke. You'd be stuck watching this one for the afternoon. <laughs> it wouldn't be too exciting, would it? Neil Bloody. The two most disliked managers in the Premier League. Yeah, and one of them probably going to get sacked. 
pretty quickly with things. Can you tell me what he wrote in his book? Something to do with you being a clown, but yeah, I think it read, was... Read the rest I of it. I know, yeah, oh, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll leave it there. Yeah, me getting my arse handed to me on a plate by John O'Shea. Of course, I, I always like to give the context to this conversation. John O'Shea's just had the best moment of his entire career, and you're trying to bring him down. That was post-Germany uh, and Gelsenkirk. In fairness, we had spent oh, well over 10 minutes saying what an amazing night this was. And it was a light-hearted moment towards the end that clearly huh. rankled a little bit with old uh, Shazy there. He thinks you're a prick. He does think I'm a prick, in fairness. And who's to argue with him, is what I'd say. So, there's not just one other game that we're not really going to get uh, uh, into very, in very much detail. The Birmingham Derby, West Brom against Aston Villa. Have you anything to offer on this one, Nathan? Let's not waste much time. Ah. We crack on? Yes, let's crack on. You've stalled. That's enough. On to the late game on Saturday, half past five. Arsenal against Newcastle. This game at the Emirates and Arsenal looked uh, pretty sharp against Galatasaray the other night it has to be said they were 3-0 up in jig time against a team granted who had one who ended up with one point from six matches in the Champions League group stages but is there something to be said for the idea that Arsenal were playing as if the shackles were off they were clearly playing because the shackles were off but does that suggest that Arsene Wenger needs to get that team in a place where mentally there's no pressure on them anymore and <laughs> How do you do that? Yeah, I know. That is the problem. Yeah. yeah, I think 100%. That's the first thing I thought watching them the last night is that typical bloody Arsenal. There's no pressure on and here you are playing incredible football, scoring wonder goals mm. by a player who's now injured again. Podolsky's uh, injured. Aaron, Aaron Ramsey. Um, look at If every manager in the world wants that, to be able to take the pressure off his players and go play with a little bit of freedom. But but is but, it almost as if, like the counterpoint of that is almost as if Fenger's putting too much so so understandably you can't take the you can't take all the pressure off these players playing in the Premier League week in week out that just can't be done but that he's almost putting he's in fact doing the opposite of putting too much pressure on them because How's he himself is under big big pressure that. well I mean he's got like you know one of the major shareholders of the club saying this guy doesn't essentially know what he's doing he's getting a qualifier for the Champions League but, uh, last 16 every year for the last 15 years but we're not getting any further so yeah. he himself is under big pressure well you could argue to counter that that's he's taking the heat off his players because all the pressure and all the talk mm-hmm. is about Wenger yeah. and it's not really focusing on their poor performances. It, the problem for Arsenal when you're playing at home at the moment is the fans are on their back and so whatever Arsene Wenger says and his team talk beforehand is listen, let's just go out, let's not worry about the result, let's just pass the ball about, let's go out and enjoy football like we're back in the streets again. Yeah. And then five minutes into the game you play a bad pass and there's 60,000 people roaring abuse at you. But you've got to put them in a place Your where... Your instinct is... No, that's an interesting point. And to come back to the Paul McGinley example that you used a bit earlier uh, during that talk yesterday, he said, that's exactly, exactly, precisely, almost word for word, what he said that he had said to his players at Glen Eagles, a successful tournament, by the way, very successful tournament, where they, he said, look, if you miss a shot, you miss a shot. It's fine. Move on to the next one. Like, Like removing that level of pressure for them would strike me as being probably something that Wenger would need to uh, why not do that but I'm I'm sure Arsene Wenger in one sense does say to his players and in fact watching Arsenal maybe says it more than anyone go take a risk you know I think back to the match at Swansea and Callum Chambers getting destroyed down the wing by Jefferson Montero and you're thinking why not take him out of this but he might have said to Callum Chambers look at half time just keep at it keep doing what you're doing it'll come right now it didn't come right Mm. But you but still Fenger can't strike change. Me as that sort of personality. He's like you see him on the sideline, and he's frustrated. He's throwing his arms. He's roaring at the players. 
I doesn't would, strike me as somebody who's given them room to go and enjoy themselves. Really? I would have thought the complete opposite. Really? I would have thought if there's one manager who almost does it too much, it's it's Arsene Wenger. Because you that see he him, doesn't like, they make a defensive error and he's oh, he's got his, his hands in the air. He's But is, are all managers not like that? A little bit, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I still think, and it's hard to equate the Ryder Cup to, uh, to a Premier League game because it's a one-off weekend and I still think with everything Paul McGilley said and it was incredible what he did the way he managed that side a mm. couple of shots go elsewhere oh, and Europe lose yeah, this yeah, yeah. and but if it's a game he overthought know, it but he, he I suppose he McGinley would say that it's the game of tiny percentages yeah. and it was the hard work ultimately that meant the tiny percentages actually went their way it wasn't any great fortune yeah I still think that and maybe this is why you have the very why you have someone like Cristiano Ronaldo, why he gets to the very top, who received dogs abuse, uh, even from Manchester United fans in the very early days when he was this flash nineteen year old giving the ball away cheaply, that he picks himself up and he tries it again and again and again. Whereas the vast majority of players, probably just like us, like they, someone's shouting abuse at you, you're going to go back into your shell a little bit. Mm. You need to be supremely... True. and yeah. Ma- yeah, maybe. But I would say Ferguson would have been... I would imagine, for all his gruffness uh, and whatever else, that he would have been the sort that would have said to Ronaldo, just keep at it. Yeah. You're and wrong. I think maybe with someone... That's proven again with someone like Nanny, that the fans would look at Nanny and be completely exasperated by what's happening. Mm. Why, why, why is he doing it again? I often think... Yeah, maybe we don't give the managers enough credit that there's no question if Nanny had been doing that without Ferguson's approval... He wouldn't have been playing. Mm. So Ferguson obviously says, all right, he took the ball off you twice. Don't let him take it off you the next time, mm. but do it again. But I still think... <laughs> I I don't know how you explain this because even if Arsene Wenger is saying that and they lose the ball two or three times, they give away a goal. Yeah, Is Arsene Wenger right or... But like what I, what I would suggest would be that... And ultimately, look, we don't have an answer to this because... Uh, we're not inside the mind or the dressing room of Arsene Wenger but like I would I would suggest that his reaction after they concede that goal and we've all seen it like dozens of times where they're sloppy in defence they lose the ball and they concede Wenger goes nuts on the sideline if he was the sort of manager who was saying to his players look it's fine regroup let's go and do it again I'm not sure he would have that I'm not sure he would react in that way yeah the, the only manager I ever remember coming out and actually saying something like that was uh, actually Brendan Rodgers funny enough Ah, when he was damn it. when he was with Swansea, <laughs> right. and uh, they gave a goal away, and I think Vorm might have passed it out to Leon Britton, and the ball in that almost style Liverpool play with now. Britton is picking it up off uh, the goalkeeper, and Britton is turning, not realizing the centre forward is charging in them, mm. nicks the ball off him straight away, and he pretty much has an open goal to put it into. And Rogers just comes out and says, "Listen, I can't criticize the goalkeeper or Leon Britton for that. I'm the one who told them mm. to do that, mm. to go and take that risk." There's only so many times a manager can say that. Is the other thing because yeah. you know, after it's a bit comes back to that point we were making earlier on that uh, you know he continues to come out and make those points that ultimately it's a self-fulfilling prophecy and it doesn't reflect very well on him. Yeah, I, I think on the Arsenal situation and the entire point we're getting to that Arsene Wenger will, I'm sure, say, let's just play with that freedom that we had during the week, but. Certain players, Alexis Sanchez will probably go out tomorrow evening against Newcastle and play like that mm. for the entire match mm. and take risks. You can probably you can probably encourage a striker to do that yeah. a lot more in fairness than you can a defender. But and they have issues there too. Obviously. Well, they have, yeah. And Debushi's back, I think, this week. He is, but he's probably going to have to play at centre back. All right. 
uh, or left back because uh, Koscielny's missing uh, Callum Chambers is suspended Monreal is missing as well Aaron Ramsey's out for a month so mm-hmm. it's just consistent injury problems and there's certain characters in that side I think who if they give the ball away in the first 10 minutes and the crowd get on their back they will go into their shell and just will not take a risk for the entire match Yeah they look f- uh, fragile in that respect and have done over the last little while let's late game on Saturday Arsenal Newcastle yeah, but It's up to you to, it's the burden of proof on you Burden of proof is on you, baby. Graham uh, Souness said last night he would eat Eamon Dunphy <laughs> on a desert that. island. Yeah, he did. He <laughs> Within kinda, three days. He kind of made he made the gag initially. Somebody said, oh, w- which one of the RT pundits would you take with you on a Good to desert island? And he said, kind of under his breath a little bit, Dunphy, because I'd eat him. And nobody really picked up on it. And then he went, I'd, I'd take Dunphy because I could kill him after three <laughs> days and eat him alive. Ooh, you've thought about this, Graham. <laughs> yeah. Uh, a little bit too much. Uh, anyway, so that is, there are the games on Saturday. Quickly to Sunday, uh, Manchester United against Liverpool, and I have to say it is a game I'm very much looking forward to. I kind of put it again to Johnny last night that um, Gilesy, <laughs> the idea that we I'm really looking forward to it, but for all the re- no, none <laughs> of the reasons that this game used to be important. Yeah, why in that? Well, this used to be the biggest game oh, of the season, and yeah. oh. Can Liverpool stop Manchester United's yeah. march to the title? Whereas uh, this but, is, but, but but like and so, but it has equally as much relevance now, but just in a very different context. Do you know what I mean? Because it could be a car crash. Yeah, for either and, side, and exactly, and and like the expectation levels of both sides are obviously very much removed. Now United have been doing well over the last few weeks, but to the point where it's yeah, it's it's I would argue equally as as significant. Just nothing to do with the title, clearly. Yeah, this is huge for Liverpool, and probably couldn't come at a worse time. Often when teams are in runs like Liverpool are in. Though they are, what, are they unbeaten in their last five games in all competitions? Wow, that would be a stat that would surprise Without me. Without having actually done anything. Yeah. But they've got United and Arsenal, their next two games in the league. And often, and Graeme Souness was touching on this last night, that usually you would say, this is the perfect game because it will focus their minds. It will get them up. There's nothing Liverpool like more than getting stuck into Manchester United. But he made the point, been four or five occasions like that already this season Champions League match against Real Madrid and, and there's been nothing yeah Basel all of them mm. and I just get the sense with Brendan Rodgers that he would almost like to take two or three weeks off and come up with an idea and come <laughs> up with a game plan that ooh that's not good news is it that his he just cannot think he's frozen at the moment he's working on fear which is not what you want from a manager at all that team selection against Basel the last night it should have been a simple team selection you're at home in the final Champions League match Liverpool have been here a hundred times before you go with an attacking side you do what Graham you pile on them for the first 10-15 minutes instead now this is the moment where he decides I'm going to play Lucas and Joe Allen I'm going to play two holding midfielders essentially and play Gerrard a little bit further forward Hmm. that's the match I would say you almost play Gerrard as your holding midfielder where you're going to be putting so much pressure on you put Basel on the back front but I just think he's not thinking clearly at all he's probably not and I wouldn't think Gerrard is helping it either I mean Gerrard clearly wants to play in that advanced role I don't know will we maybe we will see him in that holding role again but like that muddies the waters as well doesn't it I mean it's not difficult it's not an easy thing for him to do now because he's got like one of the all time legendary players of the game in his ear saying here's where I want to play and that probably dictates a bit of it that's been a problem all season though the Gerrard's power within the club and Roger's unwillingness for a long time to drop him mm. Gerrard's interview after the match against Basel again kind of hung everybody out to dry uh, Ricky Lambert in particular 
What, what did he say? <laughs> well, he was, you know, obviously we lost Suarez and uh, Daniel Sturridge. We need Mario Balotelli to step up now and come back and start scoring some goals because, you know, like Ricky tonight, like his legs were gone. You know, no, nobody expected them to be playing four oh, games, four or five games in a row. Like, um, oh, yeah, that's not good. Um, we go again. We course. go again. Was yeah. were his final, yeah. his final words that went really well. Just the last a bit time. cliche, isn't it? I mean, it's okay when you're winning, Stevie G. Like it sounded quite good. It was a bit of a rallying call. It had positive connota- connotations. Uh, yeah, I like Brendan Rodgers. It's I suppose he's never been under this much pressure in his career before. He might argue, oh well, you know, when you're losing your job at, at Reading. But this is a very different yeah. type of pressure. And he's always been a pretty flexible manager. He had his style of play at Swansea. He wanted to bring that over to Liverpool. After a couple of months at Liverpool, he realised this death by football, possession football, didn't suit the side. Was willing to change and just focus everything around Suarez to a certain extent. Now, they have no style. They don't have a formation. But it's very easy when you've got a star, like a standout player like Suarez. And ultimately, like isn't that what it all boils down to as well? I mean, you've got one of the best forward players in the world like it's a very straightforward thing to build a team around him whereas when you're operating with a team like he has at the minute and Sterling I see as well is uh, stalling on the possibility of a new deal as well they're offering him I think 70 grand a year between 70 70 and 100 is what I've read like I would think just burst the bank to get this guy to stay because you lose Sterling like Liverpool lose Sterling that's it like forget about it I mean that's if that's the ceiling of their ambition that they can't burst the bank to keep like the, the most creative player they have hopefully Lallana comes into that conversation at some point I don't think Lallana will ever have the talent of Sterling but yeah, I think Sterling will eventually sign the contract you can understand I'm sure that thought is exactly the thought of his agent mm. they can't afford to lose you Yeah, that's, you are I mean, the shining star enough, for this enough, future fair enough Like that's the, don't argue with that uh, yeah they'll give him 100 grand a week and that'll all be sorted but I just cannot see any way out for Liverpool at the moment yeah well, we shall see if it comes at Old Trafford on Sunday. LVG, it uh, seems, has kind of cracked it a bit as well. So that is our live game, the first of two on Sunday. Me prefero hablar en inglés. Yeah, he may have to uh, prefero hablar in español uh, shortly. You've been practicing, have you? A la David Moyes. How many, how many games left? I probably have, have uno, uno, dos, dos tres, tres times uh, the same. Uh, level of Spanish as the lads anyway our second game on Sunday very briefly Swansea against Spurs at the Liberty Nathan will be there with Keith Andrews you were at Spurs Everton a couple of weeks ago I'm at Spurs every bloody week yeah seven times this season you're now excited. you're excited you're pumped by it I can uh, tell Spurs matches Spurs and Liverpool the same comments apply to both of them yeah there's no formation there's no style there's a manager who doesn't seem to have any grasp on what he wants to Yeah, but at least achieve. at least with, uh, I don't know if I make this point every week about Pochettino, it feels as if I do, but at least with Rodgers, that he's had a couple of years there to plan that. Now he's lost, sorry again, but like a Pochettino has just come in there and he's, as he, he bought, one player, two players. Like I, I feel that, a few more. I think I feel that, Poch, I feel I would have much more of a positive outlook from a Spurs point of view than I would Liverpool, I have to say. Ooh, I don't know. Have you been watching Spurs this season? Uh, the, the other question is, they bought three or four players during the summer. Did Pochettino actually sign any of these guys mm. or did the transfer committee impose them upon them but they're so soft I think Liverpool will finish above Spurs in the league this season Spurs could easily finish 9th or 10th my, my, my point about Pochettino and Spurs isn't actually based on how they're currently playing or where they'll finish it's just that I believe that Pochettino is a manager who really knows what he's doing and I think when he's allowed to bring in the personnel that he wants that he can achieve that will that ever happen 
well, quite possibly not. Yeah, that's I, I, not, I don't yeah. think it will. Uh, I don't think. Spurs... Well, I don't know whether he've gone there. I mean, he, he went there obviously, and they said you don't have any money. This is what you got. Well, he'd no choice. He wanted well, to get out of Southampton. But presumably, at some point, he said, "Right, well, I, after season one, I want to be able to buy some players here." I would have presumed you would go straight in and say, "I want to sign some players yeah. here." These are the three or four guys. Now they couldn't sign Schneiderlin. Uh, Jay Rodriguez is still injured. Schneiderlin, I think, would make a big difference to that team in January, of course, too. But they're just so soft. Everything about them. They've. This is what I think I've said it a couple of times. This is the worst Spurs team I have ever seen, without any shadow of a doubt. Yeah. There is nothing to this team. Isn't isn't that isn't that always the case? Like I mean, they've got generally the difference is they've got one or two pretty brilliant individuals. Well, that's it exactly, and that's actually something that uh, reading some of the Spurs fan sites, they folk Spurs always have one guy, somebody they Mm. can get behind. Even when they had Bale, Modric, and Van der Vaart, like they had a lot of guys Mm. there. Even when Robbie Keane and Berbatov. Who's it supposed to be now? Lamella. Hugo Lloris. (laughs) (laughs) Essentially, he is. There's always somebody who's been linked with Manchester United for thirty million pounds playing for Spurs. At the moment, Lloris is the only guy. Yeah. There's no outfield player who would get in Chelsea, City, probably even United's team if everyone's fit. It's a stupid question, I think. It's a stupid question. Yeah. You know, from Swansea Spurs, LVG wants to strap up. I think it's... Uh, Wilfried Boney, though. There's a guy I would sign if I had a few quid. All right. Happy enough to leave that. Yeah. Pick up more I'm of looking Sunday. forward to it. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Uh, my treble this week, Nathan, I presume you've uh, done your research on this front as well. Uh, as I said, I have, I've yet to get one, so bear with me on these <laughs> shitty odds. Uh, Southampton to win at Burnley. I think it's a reasonable bet. Uh, Chelsea to win at home to Hull. And City to win at Leicester. So I got my fiver on that, and it's about two to one. My God. I don't care. I haven't. I, 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 none of these I've ever. Like, he gave out to me last week because I had two to one as well. It didn't come in. Two thirds of it didn't come in. Right. What have you got? I am also going to go for Southampton to win at Burnley. I'm going to go for Aston Villa to win at West Brom. Oh, that's loose. And I'm going to go for Swansea to beat Tottenham. Yeah. I'm not sure of my odds, but I'm pretty certain they're going to be good. Ah, I'll tweet them. I'll tweet them. Uh, right, we've managed to get through uh, almost an hour of the Friday Football Podcast wow. without any A-list celebrities knocking on the door and telling us to get the hell out. This is a good week. Yeah, it must be coming up to Christmas. They're just not coming in this week. Yeah, so look. Pat Kenny, you've let us down. <laughs> good enough to leave it. Nathan, thanks a million. Enjoy your weekend. Cheers, Adrian.